um, I'm really excited to get into this morning's word with you. It is, uh, it's really interesting because the word that I was actually initially planning to speak on this week is very much tied into this. But last night while I was driving to the service, the Lord gave me this word. And I actually was going to preach it straight last night, but then I felt I needed to, to preach the message I had last night, last night. And there was some stuff that the Lord wanted to show me, and I'm really glad He did because there's a lot that he added to what was in my heart last night for this morning. I really believe this is a word that's appropriate for the church right now. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the whole church. I believe we're in a very important time in God's timeline for the church. And I believe God is busy raising up a remnant people, a people that he desires to use. You know, the Bible speaks about him coming to collect a bride without spot and blemish. You know, there are certain things that ushered in the coming of the Lord the first time He came, and there are certain things that will usher in His return. There are certain things, the certain postures and certain things that took place before He came. And I believe that, that there are signs in Scripture that will show us what He is going to be preparing before He comes. And I believe the church is very much lined up right now for what God is about to do on the planet before He comes again. If you're sitting there going, oh, please, God, don't come. I want you to know I'm praying against you. <laughs> because I say, come, Lord Jesus. At any time, whenever you're ready, we are ready to go with you. Amen. All right. So we're going to dive right into it this, this morning and um, pray that everything stays on. <laughs> I am going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning and it's just one of those stories that I can't I can't tell you the story because the scriptures speak for themselves and they are so powerful you know when I was reading this last night and this morning I was so overwhelmed by just God's perfection in his word his word has so perfectly been put together for us so that he can teach us and equip us and empower us and speak to us his word speaks to us all the time. How many of you have experienced God's word just speaking to you as though it was meant for this very, very moment? So in scripture, many times we, we are taught certain things. I could teach probably about four or five different messages out of this morning's message, out of the parts of scripture that we'll go to. In fact, I've heard, in fact, I've heard and taught myself many times different parts of the scripture. But I think that there's many people sitting in this room that have probably never heard the whole story of what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. The Bible speaks of two characters that are very, very prominent in the Old Testament. The one is King Saul. And king Saul was, was the first king of, it, of Israel. And then King David, which is a very special man because the Bible speaks about him as a man after God's own heart. This is something that has always intrigued me so much, something that I desire with all of my heart to be someone that is a, is a man after God's own heart. And I've always wondered, what does that really mean? I've heard many people preach about this. I've heard many people speak about this. And I really believe that sometimes we overanalyze because actually the Bible tells us plainly what he's saying when he says that. And we're going to look at all of that this morning. But in order to understand fully what's going on, we need to have a look at the whole story. Now, as I say, we're going we're to go into a lot of scripture. I cannot give you the whole story. We don't have all day. 
So I'm going to give you as much of what I feel is relevant to this morning's message, and hopefully the puzzle pieces will fit together for you. Is that okay, guys? I, I really like to preach and get away from my notes. That's, that's my style. That's the anointing I carry. But I really feel it's important that I do this this morning because I believe God is preparing His people for what He's about to do on the planet. All right. The story picks up, and I'm going to give you the backstory real quick. In the book of Exodus, the children of Israel have left Egypt. They've just crossed over to the other side. I'm sure you can imagine, if you really had to sit down and imagine it, it must have been a very intimidating, overwhelming time. Imagine being chased by the Egyptians to the Red Sea, and then the sea parts supernaturally, and you're walking now through the Red Sea, and on either side are these two waves being held back, basically. I don't know about you, but I know that while I'm walking through the Red Sea, I'll be repenting just in case God decides to let one little part flow through and knock me out, you know what I mean? And so, you know, he's, he's, you know the, the children of Israel are walking, they know that the Egyptians are hot on their trail, and they must have been overwhelmed, they must have been exhausted because they were in a bit of a hurry to get through. So there's a lot going on. They cross over to the other side. When they get there, they have no water, they don't really have food, but we know that God supernaturally provides for them. But something takes place that I think many of us tend to overlook. And it's really important. You see, that's the power of Scripture is that the Bible tells an entire story, but often we go, well, it doesn't make sense. And the reason why is because we haven't taken the time to go and look at the whole thing, the whole picture. So as they cross over to the other side, God has literally struck the rock and there is now water flowing out of the rock. They're in, they're in, they're in the wilderness. And this is what happens. Watch this now. Exodus 17, verse number 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and we had let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Ur supported his hands, one side, one on one side, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, now watch this, write this for a memorial in the book of recount, it in, in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God is very upset that the Amalekites have, have gone and attacked the children of Israel when they're very, very vulnerable extremely worn out, extremely tired, and you'll find out in just a moment that it was an attack from behind, so they really ambushed them, and, and, and the, you know that the guys at the back of the line are normally the weakest, so they've attacked the Israelites, and they've attacked the weakest of Israelites, of the Israelites, but God was faithful and gave them the victory, but God was so unhappy about what took place that He said, listen, I'm going to utterly blot Amalek out. I'm going to utterly destroy Amalek. 
Now you must understand that Amalek literally represents the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God. So in our life, Amalek would kind of be like the devil, the enemy, the devil, the one that God wants to destroy. Amen. Is that okay? There are not many, many people or things that God wants to destroy, but he wants to destroy the enemy, that wants to destroy us. Are you, are you with me? So I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we go on in the journey. Now, something amazing happens a little bit later on. Moses is busy with the children of Israel, and he's getting the law. So while he's getting the law, all the different laws, one after another, and if you read Deuteronomy, you'll see that there are many, many laws. But right in the middle of giving the law, God makes a statement. Watch this. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked you. He attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary. And he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around. In the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. That you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. How many of you think this is important to God? So God is saying, listen, while he's giving the law, he's busy passing different laws, different laws, many, many laws. And suddenly, just out of nowhere, he says, listen, I'm going to get Amalek. And we are going to strike Amalek down and we're going to blot Amalek out. There will be no remembrance of Amalek. Amalek will be destroyed. So we can tell that this is an important thing to the Lord, right? Because Amalek wants to get in the way of God's purpose. You must understand that the one who wants to stop you from fulfilling your destiny and from fulfilling your purpose is the devil, Amen. the enemy. He wants to stop you from reaching the potential, the fullness of what God has for you. He wants to stand in your way. Just like Amalek tried to stop the children of Israel from moving into the wilderness and ultimately stepping into their fullness, the, 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 into their inheritance, the promised land. So it is that the enemy will do exactly the same to us in our lives. He will come and he will try to hold us back. Okay? So what happens is time passes and the children of Israel move into the promised land and they begin to have victory after victory. And eventually things begin to look good for the children of Israel. They want a king. So God raises up a king for them and anoints King Saul. And I know most of you in the room don't like Saul, but actually he started really well. Yeah. You know, you must understand, no one starts with bad intentions. In fact, he was bold. He stood up for the Lord. He sought the Lord. He did things well in the beginning. But something happened. Something changed. And you must understand that change didn't come in one moment. It was something that was happening in his heart. Maybe it was the position he'd had. I don't know exactly what it was. But God eventually comes to him and gives him a command. And when this command is given, his response is so important and detrimental at the same time that I think we often overlook how important it really is. Now, you've got some backstory, so you kind of know what's going on. Okay, you know the story of Amalek and what Amalek did and what God said about Amalek. So the prophet Samuel is about to go to Saul and give him an instruction from God. Are you all with me? Yes. Okay, 
All right, I've done my best to give you the background. Now let's get into it. 1 Samuel 15, verse number one. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Everybody say, heed the Lord's voice. I want you to understand something. If you want to be successful in your life, if you want to get somewhere in this journey with God, you must heed His voice. You must heed His voice. Now, when we say that, it's kind of like, you know, we're saying it. But understand, Samuel comes to Saul and says, listen, God has anointed you His king. God has blessed you. The people are being prospered and they're being blessed. But I need you to understand, Saul, you need to heed, you need to listen. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. You need to obey God's voice. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm about to tell you something and you better pay attention. You better listen. Because it's important. Heed the voice of the Lord, Saul. Heed his voice. Okay? And he says this in verse number two. Thus says the Lord. So he's telling him now exactly what God said to him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came out from Egypt. So God has not forgotten. God has not forgotten what Amalek did. Israel's doing well. They've recovered. They're having victory after victory. Things have settled. And God says, now's the time. Now's the time I'm going to take Amalek out. I'm going to take the enemy of my people out. Are you with me? So he says to him, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Did you see that? Destroy everything, everything. And do not spare them, but kill both men and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkeys. In other words, leave nothing. Make sure that you utterly destroy them. Remember, God said, I'm going to blot Amalek out. In other words, there will be nothing, not even the animals, not even the scent of the animals will exist on the earth because I'm going to destroy everything. So he goes to Saul. He says, Saul, listen, you are king. I've made you king. I've anointed you. I've appointed you. I want you to go and I want you to completely destroy them because this is the word of of the Lord. I said I would do it. I want you to be my voice. I want you to be my representative on the earth. And I want you to go and destroy this enemy of mine. That's what's happening, right? And you know the backstory. You know what's happened. So you're in the picture. Verse number four. So Saul gathered the people. Immediately Saul's like, yes, let's do this. I'm going to take on Amalek. They're a great enemy. We're going to go. We're going to battle them. The Lord said he's with us. We're going to have the victory. We're going to utterly blot them out, right? It's looking good, right? All right. Is anybody out there? <laughs> all right. All right. Just checking. Just want to make sure you're all okay. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telium, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. So he's bold. He knows God's with him. 
For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up to Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Now watch. Look at the first thing he does here. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. He took him alive. God said, kill them all. He took him alive. He took the king alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, that's the king, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy. Everyone say unwilling. Unwilling Unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So you must understand, Saul is in his mind... He thinks he's done exactly what God said he must do. In his mind, he thinks he's being obedient. He's just probably interpreted it. I don't know exactly what his reason is. He may be aware, he may not be aware. But, but what often happens is people hear the word of the Lord. And when the word of the Lord comes to them, they'll go, well, you know, the prophet, he didn't really know what he was talking about. Maybe, you know, the Lord wants me to wipe them out, but surely we should keep the sheep. Surely we should show some mercy. God, you know, God, you know God's angry, but I'll show some kindness. I'll show some mercy. I think we should do it this way because this way just looks better. The whole world, everyone will think better of me if I spare the animals. You know, everyone will think better of me. We just show mercy to their king. We'll wipe out everybody else, but we'll show mercy. I'll show mercy. That's what the Lord would want me to do. Right? But that's not what God said. God said, I want you to utterly destroy them. You see, in our mind, immediately we think, well, God didn't mean it like that because, you know, that's not God. God is merciful. You know, God would not do it that way. And we begin to reason and we begin to want to do it our way. Let me tell you something. Your way will get you into trouble. You see, you can only see this high. Okay? Other people can see this high. God sees way above what we could ever see or imagine. He knows every trap that's gonna come your way. He knows every seed and plan of the enemy that's against you. And if he says this is wrong, you must know it's wrong. If he says don't accept this, you mustn't accept this. Why? Because he knows. He looks at things from a far higher perspective. He knows the truth from what's false. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He knows what's good. He knows what's bad. But what happens is we begin to reason or we begin to believe that we actually have the better way. And we often will say, well, God actually, you know, you know, I know God, you know, God meant it like this. No, God said, kill them all. Kill them all. Are you with me? Now, please don't be killing anybody. There's no Malachites hanging around anymore, okay? So, and you'll understand why. So as this has taken place, Saul's busy celebrating, thinking he's had the victory and done exactly as the Lord commanded. The Bible says in verse number 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. But Lord, I thought he followed you. He did what you said. No, he didn't. Why? Because he only did half of what God said. 
he decided to change the rest of the instruction because he knew better. Amen? Well, you know, it's not quite relevant anymore, Pastor Alex. You know, it might have been like that back in the days of old, but now, you know, surely God wouldn't mean that anymore. You know, surely today we should just be loving, and surely, you know, we should be able to choose our own genders, and surely we should be able to do this, and surely we should be able to do that. If God says it's this way, it's this way. God said it's that way, it's that way. Are you with me? You see, what you don't understand, hey, is that what you allow, what you allow in your life that God says is evil is the very thing that will destroy you. It's the very thing. What of the enemy you leave and don't, and don't deal with in your life is the very thing that will prevent you from fulfilling your destiny. It's the very thing that will steal the dream that God has for you. Saul started well, but things are going really wrong right now. Verse 11, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandment. There's no gray with God, guys. There's no gray. And it grieved Samuel. Samuel was so upset and he cried out to the Lord all night. He went before God because he understood that, listen, this is not a joke. He understood the history of the children of Israel. God said, I'm going to blot them out. I'm going to wipe them out. He gives the command to the king. The king decides, listen, I don't think Samuel meant it that way. You know, Samuel might be the prophet. He might be the one hearing from God. But you know, actually, I think I have a better way. I'm going to do it in another way. The people will be happy and we will even do things with the way I'm going to do it for God. Watch this now. All night he cried out to God. So in verse number 12, it says, when Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed he set up a monument, look at this, for himself. Well done, Saul. You had a great victory. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul. And, and Saul said to him, so Saul sees Samuel coming. Watch this. He thinks he's had this great victory. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Look at me. I listened. I did what God said. Meanwhile, you haven't listened at all. You have did it your way your way are you with me now watch because it gets really good verse 14 but Samuel said what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear and Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord God and the rest we have utterly destroyed so in other words listen we thought it would be better that we keep those sheep alive because we want to offer them to God. There is an order. There is a structure. God does not break that order ever, ever. When you go against that order, when you go against that structure, when you go against His command and you do it, even if you do it with supposedly the right reason. Let me tell you something. When you break God's order, your motives are wrong. I don't care what you think. Well, you, you know, you know, um, you know, those pastors, 
those pastors, they just want to do it their way. Yes, of course they do. They have an instruction from God. They must do it their way. Oh, it's quiet now. Nobody's shouting now. Of course they can abuse it. But there is a divine order. There is a divine structure. God will not violate His own structure. And we think that, no, we've got the way. We know the way. We're going to do, we're going to have this, we're going to do this great thing. We're going to get everyone together and do all this and just break God's order. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right? So let's just do it this way. You know, let's just get everyone and just have it, just do it this way. This is the way. No, this is not the way. And even if your intentions are right, your intentions are right, your motive probably isn't. I didn't say any of that in the first service. I don't know where that came from. Okay, let's continue. Let's continue. Amen. Amen. Then Samuel said to Saul, verse 16, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. You see, it doesn't really matter what Saul says at this point. It doesn't really matter what Samuel's saying at this point. What does God say? When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? That's the key, guys. If you want to have success in your life, you cannot do it your way. You have to do it His way. If you want to be successful, if you want your life to be blessed, you must be obedient to God's voice. Even when it doesn't feel good, even when it doesn't always make sense to you, you must be obedient to God's Word. Amen. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of, of, of Amalek. He's so, he's so blinded by his deception that now he's even convinced that he was supposed to bring the king back. He's lost it. Why? Because he's completely self-absorbed. He's missed it. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in, Gil in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as, as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. I have to read that for you in another translation. Out of, the new, out of the New International Version, verse 22 says it like this. It's just broken down in a simpler format. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering, the offering of the fat rams. 
And he goes on and he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. In other words, your lack of obedience has actually caused you to rebel against God. People have this idea that they can just do it the way they want to. You think you can bypass God's divine order? Friend, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how anointed you are. He was anointed. He was already anointed. He was already king. He didn't have to become king. He was king. But he went against God's divine order. God had a divine order. He didn't want to listen. He wanted to do it his way. The prophet came to him and said, listen, this is what God says you're supposed to do. Then do it. Or, you know, Pastor Alex, I don't need to go to church anymore. The Bible says do not neglect the, the gathering of the saints. Why do you think it says that? Oh, well, you know, I don't need to go to church. I can just worship God on my own. Yes, you can, but you are missing something that is there for you. One of the greatest tragedies in church today is the lack of impartation. Impartation is absolutely vital to the success of the church. Go read your Bible. Go read the book of Acts. Go read Corinthians. Go read Ephesians. Go read Philippians. Go read Peter and find out impartation is vital to the success of the carrying on of the church. No, no, no. We must do it without the church. No, we must do it our way. happened to his heart. The Bible goes on to define that rebellion as the sin of witchcraft. It's not that he, it's not that he, 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 he was doing the right thing, but he decided to do it his own way. So you can't decide to do it your way. You've got to do it God's way. In order to defeat that enemy that wants to take you out, you must do it God's way. He says, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Listen, he hasn't rejected him as his people. He's rejected him as king. In other words, you will not fulfill your destiny. You will not walk in everything God has for you because you said that you should rather do it your way. Not Pastor Alex's way. Don't get mad at me. This is the Bible. If the Bible says we should do this, guess what? Right? It's not me. Don't get mad at me. I didn't put it there. It's His Word. And His Word on these pages is just as powerful and accurate and life-transforming and changing and authoritative as it has always been right from the very moment it was written. And will never change. Man, I need to move. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it, don't rush. <laughs> then Saul said to Samuel, watch this now, I have sinned. He's repenting, right? Or is he really? I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I believe that that's true. Yes, he obeyed. He was more worried about what the people thought. He was more worried about impressing the people than actually doing what God said. But I do believe that it was far more than just that. It also came down to the fact that he just wanted to do it the way that he thought was right. That's why he got into such serious trouble, and that's why what he did was defined as rebellion and witchcraft, because he actually says, listen, God, you said it like this, but I think it needs to be this way. You with me? 
Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Wow. What's happening here? You see, what's happening here is that he wants to do, he wants to do what is just called going through the motions. But his heart has not changed. His heart has become so hard and he's completely wanting to do it the way that he believes is right. And yes, he's repentant because he doesn't want to get into trouble, but he's already in so much trouble. And his reaction is, let's just go and make another sacrifice. Didn't you just hear what he said? He said, why don't you just be obedient? It's not about the sacrifice. Are you with me? The story doesn't end there, guys. This is where it really begins to get interesting. Because what happens is straight after this event, after Samuel is mourning for some time, God sends him to David and anoints David as king. But David doesn't become king because Saul is the king. And Saul becomes jealous of David. And over a period of time, Saul gets aware of the fact that David's anointed and called and actually tries to kill David several times. And David has the opportunity to kill Saul, but doesn't do it. Why? Because he understands God's order. He understands God's ways. He wants to please the Lord. Listen, I've heard people say, well, you mustn't try and please the Lord. What are you talking about? That's the reason I live. I live to please Him. I live to, 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 to please Him. I live to serve Him. I live to honor Him. I live to give my life to Him. That's why I'm here. There's no other purpose but to do that for Him. Well, you know, you can't do anything. God can't love you more. Listen, I think God loved David a lot more than most of us in this room. Let me say that over here. I think God loved David more than most of us sitting in this room. I believe that with all of my heart. Well, that doesn't fit your theology, does it now? That's why God describes him as a man after his heart. It's not necessary that God loved him more. It's just that God rejoiced so greatly in the heart that David had for him. And primarily it's because of his obedience to God. Because he chose to follow and obey the Lord. Okay, I need to move on. Now, what happens is, David is, has a small army and they set up camp. They set up their home in a place called Ziklag. And in Ziklag, David goes out to battle. When he comes back, someone attacks his home takes the wives and all the children away from their camp and burns the camp down. When David and his army come back, they begin to mourn and weep and lament because the Amalekites that were supposed to have been blotted out have raided them and stolen their families. And in this moment, something remarkable happens. David's own men turn on him and threaten to kill him. Now watch this. I'm going to read this real quick because... We still have like a lot to do and I want you to leave before two o'clock. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Samuel 30 verse number six. Now David was greatly distressed. I can imagine. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man, for his son and his daughters. 
But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Look at David's response. When the pressure came, the first thing he did was run to the Lord. The first thing he did was run to God. Then David said to Abitha the priest, Amalek's uh, son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abithar, and Abithar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord. Look at David. The pressure's on. They want to stone him. He doesn't submit to their pressure and say, let's just do this. Let's go and do that thing. He doesn't try and do it in his own strength. The first thing he does is he grabs a priestly garment, which is not even supposed to be his, takes it because he knows that the only place he's going to find refuge, the only place he's going to find the answer is in God's presence. And he asks the Lord, what must I do, Lord? What do you want me to do about this? Am I going to have a victory or are these guys going to wipe me out? So David inquires of the Lord, verse number eight, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David gets back everything that's taken from him, gets back his family, gets back his loved ones. They have a great victory over the Amalekites. Go read it. But this wasn't necessary because they were already supposed to be dead. Are you with me? And when he comes back, just two days after his return, something amazing happens. You see, at the same time that he was fighting with his men against the Amalekites, Saul was busy fighting with the Philistines. And this was the battle that ended Saul's life. Saul was struck down in battle. And a man comes to find David to tell him what's taken place in this battle just after they come back from their victory. Watch this now. 2 Samuel 1 verse number 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. See, David slaughtered them. And David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp and his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So this guy comes and gives him bad news. Now, in some situations, you would think that maybe this is actually good news for David. He's about to become king. His enemy's finally killed. But David's not happy about this at all. Isn't that incredible? Come on, I know you, but as your enemy, you'd be like, yes! <laughs> okay, not you, the person sitting next to you. Amen. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance, let's just stop there for a moment. Nothing in scripture happens by chance. As I happened by chance, to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now, when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? Now, watch this. 
So I answered him. What does it say? I am an Amalekite. The very thing that killed him was the very thing that he allowed that God said you must destroy to remain in his life. The thing that will destroy your destiny, the thing that will destroy your purpose is the thing that God says you must destroy that you leave in your life because you think you have a better way. Amen. Now I want you to understand, I'm going to show you in just a moment just how important this statement is because God does something. Let's go to the next verse real quick. He said to me again, please stand over me. This is now what Saul is saying to the servant, to this guy. Please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. Next verse. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took, the, I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. So he's brought this to David. Watch this now. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. So he was grieving. He was terribly distressed. Next verse. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Next verse. Then David said to the young man who told him, where are you from? You just have to, you have to, you have to get this. God adds this in again. Watch this now. And David said to the young man who told him, where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien and a Malachite. Why didn't he just say, and that guy that came? No, he didn't say that. He wants you to understand that Saul disobeyed. And because of that disobedience, the thing that he allowed to remain in his life, that God said, you need to get this thing out. That's the thing that came and plagued him because not listen there are things sometimes that you struggle with right but you want them gone okay there's there's grace for you that doesn't mean you must keep doing it but there's grace for you this is something that he decided that he was going to accept that he was going to do it his way are you with me there's a difference i'm not giving you permission to continue to stay in that sin you need to change that but i'm telling you don't confuse the two are you with me all right go to the next verse so David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Next verse. Then David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. Boom, right there. This is an enemy of God. He's not going to live. This is the guy that bought David the crown. This is the guy that brought David the bracelet of Saul. This guy thought he would get favor with David. David was obedient to God's voice. I want you to keep in mind one thing, guys. He didn't strike him down immediately. The Bible says that there was a night that went by. They mourned through the night. Are you with me? So, God, so David must have gone and cried out to God. And the next morning, he knew what he had to do. Are you with me? Now I need to show you something. 
Don't think David was perfect because I can assure you he wasn't, okay? We all know the story of David, how David sins with Bathsheba, right? And when he sins with Bathsheba, something happens. He, he writes a psalm. I need to show you this because this is extremely powerful. Please forgive me, I don't have my normal mic. <laughs> Are you guys okay? We're almost done. But I must share this with you, but I want to do it down here. Psalm 51. And this psalm is one of the most beautiful psalms that David wrote. Did you know that David wrote 74 psalms? In David's anguish, in David's, David's been caught, he's messed up. The prophet comes and takes him on. But he doesn't respond like Saul responds. He responds completely different. And in the process, David suffers severe punishment. But he still doesn't blame God. Watch this. The Bible wants you to know when this took place. It says here, for the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time that Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So we know when this psalm was written. Watch, his, watch the way he speaks. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. There's no, I, I just, you know, Lord, I, I thought I did the right thing. I wanted to do the right thing. I, 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 you know, no, no, no self-righteousness, no self-justification, not I'm too tired, not, you know, the other guy, nothing like that. Just immediately he begins to cry out to God. Because of your great compassion, see, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. Saul did not recognize his rebellion. David recognizes his rebellion. What rebellion? His disobedience. His disobedience. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You would be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. Wow. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. He's asking for mercy. He knows the only way he can recover from this is if God washes him, if God purifies him. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stains of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew, Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing, watch this, to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will teach, and they will return, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. And then watch this. This is so powerful, guys. Verse 16 says this. You do not desire a sacrifice. Or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. 
You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Isn't that good news? Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices offered in the right spirit. What's important to God is not necessarily our sacrifices and offerings. What's important to God is do you respect His order? Do you respect His word? And will you be obedient to His word? In the book of Acts, the book of Acts gives us an incredible look into the heart of David. Watch this. Acts 13, verse 21. This is so powerful, guys. And this is the message this morning, summarized. It says in verse 21, And afterward they had asked for a king. This is about Saul now. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. For 40 years he was king. And when they had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Now watch this. A man after my own heart. Why? What did he do? Who will do all my will. He will do all my will. In other words, he will be obedient to me. He will choose to obey my word. God is looking for people that will love him and desire him so much. Is love enough? Absolutely. Love is enough. But love, love is obedient. Are you with me? Now watch this, guys. From the man's seed, this is David, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. So from David came Jesus. From that line came Jesus. The Bible speaks about a people that will be a true worshiping people. True worshipers are worshipers that are obedient to Him, that worship Him in spirit and truth. Truth, truth means that you follow Him. Truth means that you obey Him, His word, His ways, His desires, not your desires, not your ways, not my ways, not my desires, but His ways. The Bible tells us that from that seed came the Messiah. Let me tell you something. God is raising up a church right now of people who are not interested in all the different this and that's. All they are interested is in seeking after God. And let me tell you, it is this generation, a generation that seek after God's own heart that will usher in the second coming of God, the second coming of the Messiah. There is no doubt about it. The Bible describes... The church as a bride without spot and blemish. Listen, we have lots of mistakes, but one thing that we will be is we will be a people that seek after him with our whole hearts. David was not perfect, but David loved God perfectly. Perfectly. To the point where God said, listen, this man, he is a man after my own heart. Well, you know, I don't need to do anything. I just need to love him. You're missing it. You're missing it. Amen. And I've come to tell you this morning that this is what God desires from us, church. 
He's doing it right now. There are people, my dad was telling me yesterday about Sean Fucht. Was it a crowd of, I don't know, he said maybe 50,000 people. God is moving. It's busy happening. Have you seen them? All they want to do is worship God. All they want to do is love the Lord. That's what he's looking for. David with his harp, with his instrument, would play for the Lord and sing songs. 72 psalms, those are songs of, that came right from his heart to God. But he didn't just sing about the Lord. Those songs came from a deep place in his heart. And all of it came from a person that desired to please the Lord and be obedient to him. Well, you know, I don't really want to do it. I don't want to do it my way. It's going to cost you. What you leave will destroy you. What you choose to rebel against God's word with is the very thing that will come back and steal from you what God has planned for you. Don't allow it to happen. Amen. We got through it, guys. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Father, we just, this morning in this place, are so grateful to you. So grateful for your presence. Oh, God, like David did, he said, do not take your presence from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, these are things that, that, that kings and, and, and people in the Old Testament didn't really even understand the way we do we have been given access to your presence. Let us never take it for granted, Lord. Lord, we make a lot of mistakes. We know that. But give us a heart, Lord. Give us a heart for you. Give us a clean heart. Give us a pure heart, a heart that seeks after you, Lord, that wants to be obedient to you, that wants to please you because you are great greatly to be praised and deserve all of the worship and all of the honor and all of the glory. If it wasn't for you, where would we be? Lost and have no purpose. But you give us purpose. You give us a hope. You give us a future. You give us life. Lord, you would, you would keep our marriages together. You would keep our families together. You would make us whole. You are the one that cleanses us, that heals us, that delivers us, that gives us everything we need. It all comes from you. How can I not want to please you? So we surrender our hearts to you this morning, Lord. We surrender our hearts to you. Let us be this generation like David, Father, that has a heart that seeks after you. We love you and are so grateful to you, Father. I thank you that your word is clear. David said it. Will God reject a person with a broken and repentant heart? No, he won't. So if there's anybody in this room that feels that way, Lord, I pray that you touch them right now where they are, right now in their seats, that you heal them, that you deliver them, that you encounter them with your love. For there is no love like your love. And so in this place, gathered together, we are so grateful to you. We honor you, we love you, we worship and praise you. I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the love of the Father and the fellowship with the Spirit be with every person as they leave here and those watching online as well. We pray for them too. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.